You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle, and uh, it is great to be with you today. And uh, I don't often give the full intro. I have a full intro written out for this, but, you know, as We Are Libertarians has become more structured because I want to reach as broad of an audience as possible uh, by employing certain broadcasting techniques. Uh, I kind of just wanted this to be a conversation between you and me. So I sometimes forget to do like the whole intro and like one episode of last week, I like got 40 minutes into it. I was like, oh yeah, you're listening to the Chris Spangle show. My name is Chris Spangle. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't expect a lot of professionalism out of this, uh, too soon. So I, I just enjoy this being a nice conversation between you and me and basically like a friend, you and a friend are out to dinner. Uh, they don't see you because they are staring down at the table and they are rapidly talking for 20 minutes straight without taking a breath about a single topic and you don't get to ask a question or interject. So it's basically like having dinner with a libertarian. That's what this is like. Um, so I want to talk today about the worker shortage. And this is something that's starting to kind of pop up in the media, but it's not full mass yet. But part of part of what's gone on is so when you when the idea all right, let's go to the idea of trickle down economics. Okay, so when you have the tax cuts and you cut the the tax rates for businesses, you hear Democrats and progressives say that this is trickle down economics, that you know, all, all of a sudden it's going to just enrich all the people at the top and then it the money trickles down to the little people. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That just, anybody who uses the term trickle-down economics unironically, you, you can bet that they don't understand economics in the slightest. So the way that it actually works is that when you cut the tax rates for corporations, you end up spurring on investment and the money goes to workers first because when you have this extra pool of money as a company you want to grow your company and so if you want to grow your company and do new things then you need help and so the first thing you do when you put plans together is hire before you buy the equipment for those people even you hire people and you line up employment and so uh, for instance, here at We Are Libertarians, as people have donated to the Patreon, that has allowed me to do a lot more stuff. And it finally got to a point where uh, last month I was like, you know, I could I could um, have a volunteer help out and then I could then separately give them a donation. <laughs> so uh, I'm avoiding a certain terms. So because... It's, you know, very small, minuscule amounts of money in the grand scheme of things. But at the end of the day, it's like, ah, I've got a lot going on and I've got a an extra amount of cash. I don't have anything that I can personally buy to make any of this easier. What I need is someone to do some tasks for me. So let me go on Upwork and let me hire out a freelancer. Let me let me employ a person to do a graphic design for a t-shirt. Let me employ a person to help with Patreon rewards. Let me hire a person to help me with some website stuff. So that's what you do. You start to hire people to help you with stuff when you have an excess amount of cash. And so, you know, for me, I, I, I don't have an employee. I 
wouldn't hire an employee at this point, but as more money comes in, I'm able to hire people who are more skilled in certain areas to do things for me to help me grow my business. Now, on a mass scale for a major corporation, when those companies don't have to pay that extra income, that extra money in taxes, then they're left with profits, of course, but what do they do with profits often? They put it back into the company. They buy better equipment for their workers, they pay their workers more, or they hire new employees and new workers. Or they plan new big projects that allow them to revise a certain wing of their building. So they hire construction workers. So the more, the less that the government takes out of companies, the more money you and I have, okay? Because companies go to, the money goes to people first because ultimately a company is nothing without employees. And so the idea that these fat cats are just going to hoard the, this income is just not how it works. And it's bad business ethics to hoard massive amounts of profit in the first place. So whenever you hear trickle-down economics, ignore everything else that person says about economics. Um, you know, because when, when you have these tax rates, the money comes out of three sources. So if you raise taxes on corporations, you, you are forcing a company to either hire, uh, raise their prices, which they don't want to do because they don't want to become uncompetitive, or they give less money back to shareholders, which they don't want to do because they want to raise their stock price in an effort to raise capital and look like a good investment. They want people to invest in the company. And, or three, they take it out of the labor force. They either don't replace a worker that just left or retired, they don't give pay raises. And so when, when you're mad about how little a Walmart worker is paid, it's because they pay a lot in taxes. They pay uh, a lot in w payroll taxes, for instance, or corporate taxes or workforce development taxes or all these other taxes. And so workers would end up being paid more if uh, they didn't have to pay so much in corporate taxes. So. When the Congress cut that corporate tax rate in December of last year, companies immediately started giving bonuses of $1,000 to employees in AT&T's case, or planning more projects, or using that money to build their business. And so unemployment has now become 3.6%. It's incredibly low. Uh, it is the lowest that I can remember. I mean, I remember when people were freaking out about us hitting 5% unemployment in the Bush era uh, and how great that was. And so we're hitting record levels of unemployment, not just in the overall economy, but also, you know, as Trump likes to point out, in minority communities. And so there is a glut of workers. And, you know, I had someone say, why is the service? I was talking to a friend and they went to this, this restaurant and the service was super slow. And they go, why is the service so slow? And the person says, we literally cannot find anybody to work here. <laughs> we cannot hire anyone. Uh, and they said, is it just because people aren't good workers? They said, no, it's literally nobody's applying uh, because there's too, there's too much unemployment. So the other thing that plays into this is Trump and the Trump administration's cut down on illegal immigration. Uh, on immigration period, not just illegal immigration, but immigration period. And so 
this is actually hurting the economy because if a company can't find the necessary labor force to execute their plans to give good service, then that leads to a decline in uh, profits, which leads to a decline in employment and a decline in purchases to help uh, build new aspects of the business. You know, So for me, uh, a decline in Patreon revenue would mean I'd have to cut a few of these services, you know, because like these $20 a month subscriptions all add up. So then I have to cut a few subscriptions, which means I'm offering less service to you. And then that person is receiving less money on their end. So they're laying off employees, their business is hurt, and you have growth slowing. So uh, the New York Times on Monday had an article called Companies Say Trump is Hurting Business by Limiting Legal Immigration. Uh, so let me read a little bit of this and make the case that it, that immigrants, period, are good for the labor force and good for our economy. Uh, so the New York Times writes, the Trump administration is using the country's vast and nearly opaque immigration bureaucracy to constrict the flow of foreign workers into the United States by throwing up new roadblocks to limit legal arrivals. The government is denying more work visas, asking applicants to provide additional information, and delaying approvals more frequently than just a year earlier. Hospitals, hotels, technology companies, and other businesses say they are now struggling to fill jobs with the foreign workers they need. With foreign hires missing, the employees who remain are being forced to pick up the slack. Seasonal industries like hotels and landscaping are having to turn down customers or provide fewer services. Corporate executives worry about the long-term impact of losing talented engineers and programmers to countries like Canada that are laying out the welcome mat for skilled foreigners. In April 2017, President Trump signed a Buy America and Hire American executive order directing government officials to rigorously enforce immigration laws. The order did not get the kind of attention that followed the administration's decision to separate families at the Mexican border this summer. A few months later, the president endorsed legislation that would cut legal immigration by half. The bill was introduced by two Republican senators, my least favorite senator, Tom Cotton of Arkansas and David Perdue of Georgia, uh, but Republican leaders in Congress have not advanced it. In practice, businesses say the increased red tape... Let me make that point clear. The president signed an executive order and then... Uh, there's some legislation around it that can't get a vote in the Congress, but they're doing it anyways because they signed an executive order. I thought he hated Barack Obama for that reason. In practice, businesses say the increased red tape has made it harder to secure employment-based visas. That has added to the difficulty of finding qualified workers with the unemployment rate falling to 3.9%. Sorry, I said 3.6. The H-1B program which was created to bring in foreigners with skills that business leaders argued would strengthen the economy, has long been a target for some politicians. The visa program has been criticized because corporations have exploited it to replace American workers. Still, many economists say that H-1B holders are valuable. Now listen to this. Immigrants file patents at twice the rate of native-born Americans and start about 25% of high-tech companies in the United States. Now, those immigrants filing patents are working for American companies. And so American companies who pay taxes in America, who hire other Americans, 
who purchase things in America, who fund the salaries of Americans who then go and buy things at local grocery stores based on the profits off of those patents, we're limiting that workforce. You see why that would be a problem? Ethan Lewis, a Dartmouth, a Dartmouth economist, said there's absolutely no research that supports the idea that cutting legal immigration is good for the economy. Hospitals in particular, and those are important, argue that they need foreign doctors who are more willing than native-born Americans to take jobs in less glamorous and lower-paying fields like internal and family medicine. Of Northwell's 1,800 resident doctors, 165 came in under H-1B or J-1 student visas. Our nation's ability to care for patients is dependent on international medical graduates, Dr. Yacht said. Uh, I've truncated this, so uh, he's... I don't know who Dr. Yacht is, to be honest. But Dr. Yacht, and it's spelled just like the boat. <laughs> that's a funny name. Um, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Dr. Yacht. Like, that's my dream in life, is I want to be Dr. Yacht. Like, I don't want to Dr. Yachts. I just want to have a yacht and then be called Dr. Uh, and I'll get one of those phony baloney doctorates that, like, Bill Cosby has. Actually, I think he actually got a doctorate um, and probably something in... Something re respectable. The respected Bill Cosby. The effect of lower-skilled immigrants is more debatable. George Borjas, a Harvard economist, has found that an influx of such workers reduced the incomes of people without a high school degree between 3 and 5%. Okay, so unskilled labor lowers the wages of people without a high school degree between 3 and 5%. Okay, so $3 out of 100? That's not a big number, right? <laughs> but we're made to believe that people grab, oh, see, they do lower wages. It's like, okay, but let's put that in perspective. You're talking about somebody who is having, th who's making $30 less a month for there to be more job opportunities because the presence of those low-skilled laborers support the creation of brand new companies. So we want to limit the amount of people coming in based on three to 5%, saving three to 5% for lower income workers. But the fact is, is that less companies exist, less product exists, less services exist if you don't have these workers. And we're doing it to save poor people, to, to help them make $30 more a month. So, when in reality that should be an incentive to get your high school diploma. So I'm sorry, I just don't have much sympathy for for uh, limiting the amount of companies and economic growth that we could have if we allowed legal immigrants to come in and work, even at the low-skilled wages, because poor people aren't making $30 more a month. Like, that's foolish to me. Giovanni Perry, an economist at the University of California, Davis, agrees that individual workers can be hurt by competition from lower-paid foreigners. But he said the overall effect on wages was modest. Immigration also tends to bolster the incomes of college-educated Americans. Mr. Perry points to what happened between the governments d deporting... Uh, so, listen to this. Okay, in 29-34, to 1929-34... to the government, the United States government, deported 400 to 500,000 Mexicans. Most of them worked in agriculture and construction. 
With fewer people to work the fields, farm owners and agricultural businesses cut administrative, sales, and clerical jobs because there was not enough to do. Out of eight or ten positions held by Mexicans, maybe one or two were taken by Americans. The rest disappeared. And we've seen this in Alabama, thanks to Jeff Sessions, pushed in Alabama the anti-immigrant legislation in, uh, I believe it was four or five years ago, where Alabama put this like restrictive hiring practice. And so there were no immigrants working in the fields, legal or illegal, in Alabama. And so the melons just rotted because, and Vice did a great immersive piece on this, uh, where they basically sent people out to follow white and black workers who went out to do what Hispanic workers had been doing, and they lasted two hours. They're like, oh, picking watermelons is hot. And so, like, they have this one guy who was, like, out there picking watermelons in Alabama, and he's like, he, he like, hands the mic pack back, and he's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> so... The reality is that workers who are coming here for a better opportunity, who have incentive to come here and do jobs, like to them, they're doing work that they do back in their homeland, but they have better growth opportunity. Have you ever taken a job that is equal to your current job because it has better upward mobility? You have a better chance of getting promoted? Uh, And many of the immigrants who come here, legal or not, are brought here by very... um, very uh, people of ill repute and so uh, they pay years of salaries in some cases to be shepherded to the united states they do it at great financial risk so the conversation and this just highlights that the conversation around immigrants by and large is completely wrong and completely misguided so uh, I, I think when you take a look at some of these numbers and you look at the overall economy, the overall economy right now is really good. And there are too many jobs and not enough people stepping up to work at these jobs. And so to keep the economic growth going, you need to let in legal and it, let in everybody who wants to work. Like to me, the answer to immigration is that uh, you let anybody who wants to come here for economic opportunity to come here and work. You give them a work visa. You track them. You understand who they are, where they are. um, And then, you know, if there's problems, then you ship them back. But uh, trying to deny, like, these BS limits of we're only going to have 66,000 immigrants come to this country from, like, all nations... Like, that's just such an arbitrary number that hurts the economy of the United States. And so if you want an economy to keep growing, then you have to start letting in immigrants. And really what it comes down to is the economic, like when the Dreamers, they were talking about deporting all the Dreamers, it would have hurt the economy by $820 billion. I think it was $823 billion. So those, gosh, what was it, 2,500 kids? 800 billion i mean that doesn't sound right i'd I'd have to look that up but it was like if you go and look at the economic impact of the dreamers it was it was almost a trillion dollars i mean it was insane and that's the economic impact of just a few thousand people in the united states so you know i'm i'm going with those numbers off the top of my head so please don't quote me on those um but the, the the point is solid even if the numbers are not you know, a few thousand immigrants in this country, legal or illegal, can have tremendous economic impact. So you have to ask, like, what is 
what is your goal? I can, I can understand, like, conservatives look at Europe, and they look, at, and so they do what Democrats do with socialism. So, like, when it comes to Medicaid for all, you know, they point to these European socialist countries with, like, six million people in it, you know, or countries the size of L.A. County, and then they try to extrapolate out to 360, 370 million Americans. And it's just intellectually dishonest because the, once, you, once you magnify that across the entire country, then it's obviously a lot different than 3 million, 6 million people. So it's fairly easy for a country with a low population density and high wealth with a lot of resources in Europe of course they can pay for Medicare for all because they don't have that many people. But it's not, it's not doable in a state, the Uni in the country the size of the United States. It's the same with immigration. When you have ethno-states like Lithuania, Ethi Ethiopia, well, I guess it counts, but the European, these European countries are formed around ethnic identities and it's white ethnic identities. America is not the same. You can't compare... Uh, a million uh, Syrian refugees going into a country the size of Germany that is ethnically German or historically German and pretend that that is what's going to happen in the United States. The United States has a history of multiculturalism from the very beginning. So it, it, it is a complete false dichotomy that is, that is formed by conservatives. I don't want to let terrorists in. I agree with you. But at the end of the day, letting Syrian refugees in is going to be a net positive for the United States. Uh, you're never going to make us completely safe from terrorism, but a terrorist is less likely to be a terrorist if they can come here, get a job, have a family, and then maybe they won't want to blow themselves up. Like the, money has a funny way of doing things positively for the world. And if we use our economic influence to... Uh, influence the rest of the world, grow the American economy, then all a lot of these issues will be solved because people will be fed and happy and won't be disrupting the world because of their poverty-stricken position. So I just think conservatives, by and large, are wrong on the way that they approach the arguments and the facts around immigration. And uh, you always have to really double-check what they're saying because the reality is a lot of times they're just not telling the truth, whether it's intentionally or not. All right, so thanks for listening to this episode of The Chris Spangle Show. I am uh, sending out a nightly email at 9 p.m. So anytime we update the website, 9 p.m., that is going to uh, hit your inbox, and you're going to get a recap of our posts from that day, all the different shows, including Tad Talk, Boss Hog of Liberty, The Brian Nichols Show, our new video series, Fundamental Freedoms, Upward Political Training, which has great... I don't know if you listen to the Upward podcast, uh, which you can get at... We are, excuse me, wearelibertarians.com. I have hiccups. I've had hiccups for 24 hours now. Um, I should look in a mirror and scare myself. <laughs> it's a dad joke for you. Uh, but if you go and uh, get all of our podcasts, um, most days I'm going to be putting a lot of uh, content into the Chris Spangle Show post a lot of news a lot of links some days i can't get to it and that's just the way that that it is if enough of you donated on patreon at, at an at a high enough amount 
that I could do this full time, then I would be more consistent in giving you more information than you'll ever be able to handle uh, and provide the libertarian movement with more content and resources than they can handle. Uh, I think I've shown that over the last uh, 10 years when I'm doing it part time here. But um, so I'm not going to always be consistent with a lot of those links in the show notes. I apologize for that. But if you do go and look at the show notes for uh, just go check out the website every day, honestly, because we're posting stuff every day. If you forget, get the email newsletter. I think it's really important for content creators to really drive people to their email newsletter, uh, even if you don't open it, which it's cool if you do, because I'd love you to see the content that we're producing. But in the age of social media, uh, clamping down on certain things, email is going to be a way, the email and the website and this podcast and our feeds, those are the ways that we're going to be able to communicate with you no matter what. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast feeds. Uh, make sure that you get the email newsletter. Make sure you bookmark We Are Libertarians. And so it doesn't matter what a social network can do to either you or me. We will be able to talk to each other. And that is very important to me and hopefully important to you. So, all right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Chris Spangle Show. And I will see you tomorrow.